Greetings to all of you. In the name of our God who fights our battles for us. Praise God for that. I do invite you to turn to Second Chronicles chapter 20. We want to look at this passage again. We read the whole story here a few weeks ago, and then we looked specifically at verses 1 through 17. We now want to focus on the last half of this story, starting in verse 18. But before we do that, I'd like to make a few comments here. As I studied this passage and, and the, the context of this passage, I was thrilled to see that King Jehoshaphat wasn't just simply one who stood up all alone in a crowd of unbelievers. Instead, King Jehoshaphat was one who was faithful as a result of the influence of those before him. His, his grandpa, Abijah, we read about him in Second Chronicles chapter 13. And then Jehoshaphat's father, Asa, who we read about in Second Chronicles chapter 14. And then we have Jehoshaphat. But we have three generations. Three God-fearing kings. Now, you know as well as I do that there are very few places in the Old Testament where there's a string of three God-fearing kings in a row. I didn't search it out. Maybe you could do that. I'll, on Dad's behalf, I could give you that for homework, right? <laughs> okay. But uh, three God-fearing kings in a row, it didn't happen very often in the Old Testament. So this is rare. But we have three generations three God-fearing kings, and three stories of great victory in the face of an impossible situation. I find that fascinating. Grandpa, uh, son, and grandson, each one, their similarities in their, their goal in life, their relationship with God, amazing victories. Now, with that said, they were human beings. They were not spotless. And you'll find that in their stories as well. There were some issues in their lives. I'll be quick to say, as there are in our lives as well. If a book would be written about me, there'd be a few bad chapters too, okay? But I see three keys for their stories of victory. One is, each of them had a current, active relationship with God. And we could look at all these verses and we won't, because this is just very introductory. But each one had a current, active relationship with God. Each one, in the face of turbulence, they chose to trust in God. Okay? They had a choice. They chose to trust in God. Thirdly, they let God fight the battle and they let him receive the glory. That challenges me. Am I willing to let God receive all the glory in my life? 
but they let God fight the battle and they let God receive the glory. And in each of those stories, each of them, three of them, it says that they looked to God, they cried out to God. In other words, they understood their insufficiency in the face of this huge situation. They cried out to God for help. God answered. And then at the end of the story, in each one, it says, God did it. It's because God did it. It doesn't say Abijah won this one. It doesn't say Asa knocked him out. It doesn't say Jehoshaphat was some great hero. Each time, God took care of the enemy. God did it. It was for God's glory. Anyway, I wonder what legacy are you passing on to your children what legacy are you passing on to your children? Your children are learning how to face the battles of life by observing your example. Your children are learning how to face the battles of life by observing your example. I'm blessed to see in these accounts that there was a legacy of faithfulness. True. Each one makes their own decisions. And just because grandpa or dad faithfully served the Lord does not ensure that you will. But let me tell you, it goes a long, long way in setting a godly example. It is very influential in a positive way. In our first part of this message, we noticed three, uh, four things. We looked at the problem. Remember, there was these three enemy nations that were coming against Judah. This looked huge. Judah was greatly outnumbered. There was a problem on the horizon. Secondly, we looked at the proclamation. Yes, Jehoshaphat feared. He was scared. But in his fear, what did he do? Did he run? Did he hide? No. He set an example by setting himself to seek the Lord. In other words, he pursued God in the face of this turbulence. Fourthly, thirdly, I'm sorry, there was a prayer, a prayer to God. And along with that prayer, there was fasting. He called the people together. The whole children of Judah, as it were, were unified. This was serious to them. And so they gathered for a time of prayer and fasting, seeking the power and presence of God in this difficult time. And then we notice the prophecy. A spirit-filled man of God arose in their time of assembly there and gave words of life, words of encouragement, sharing the promise of God's presence and power in their time of fear. In other words, he said, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to fear. You know what? This really is not your battle. This is God's battle. He's going to fight it for you. Just stand still. Get ready. It's going to be amazing. Let's move into the latter part of this story now. Let's start at verse 15. 
for a little bit of context, this is the part where the man of God was speaking to the people. We'll start at verse 15. And he said, Hearken ye all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And here's the response of the people. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korhites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets so shall ye prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, and that should praise the beauty of holiness. As they went out before the army, and to say, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come up against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, every one helped to destroy another. And when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked unto the multitude, and behold, they were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, they found among them in abundance both riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels, which they stripped off of themselves more than they could carry away. And they were three days in gathering of the spoil. It was so much. And on the fourth day they assembled themselves in the valley of Barakah, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore the name of the same place is called the valley of Barakah, unto this day. Then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat in the forefront of them to go again to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies, and they came to Jerusalem with psalteries and harps and trumpets unto the house of the Lord, and the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they had heard that the Lord fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest roundabout. Okay, in this part of the sermon, we want to look at the following four points, and that is praise, power, provision, and peace. Praise, power, provision, and peace. And as we walk through this story from the past, let's learn some more lessons about spiritual battle that can help us prepare for the challenges that we face today. Praise, verses 18 and 19. 
look at the response of the people. Now keep in mind, the battle had not been fought yet. But the people worshipped and praised God for the victory before the battle even began. They praised God for the victory before the battle even began. You know, the scene here is one that we would commonly see in the Bible stories after the victory has been clinched, after the enemies were all dead, after things were all wrapped up and the people went back home, then they would praise and worship God, and rightly so. Is that not how it is for us usually? Thank you, Lord, for delivering us. Yes, now we see you did it. It's obvious to us. Praise the Lord. See, that's, that's the common scene. But in this story, the celebration begins early. It begins early. You know, as far as they were concerned, the battle was won. As far as they were concerned, victory was assured. It was done. I say, why? How could they be so confident of this fact? First of all, they had sought God earnestly from their hearts. They had poured themselves out to God. They knew from their hearts that they were being real with God. They were seeking the face of God, maybe like never before. Secondly, God answered them. God heard them. God saw their hearts. And God answered them with the promise of power, the promise of his presence. And then thirdly, I want to say that they believed him. They believed him. And once again, they chose to believe God. In these challenges and battles of life, we have a choice to make. God never forces us to follow his way. He never forces us to do his will. We have a choice to make. And against all odds, you could say, against uh, the raging feelings of the flesh, saying, this is ridiculous. We'll never be able to conquer this. We're dead. In spite of all that, in the face of that, they chose to trust in God. God honored that in a very great way. And so God didn't share with them the details of how this was going to happen. God didn't give them all the rundown, okay, I'm going to do it this way and this way, and you're going to sing, and I'm going to, you know. No, God didn't give them all the details. They didn't know how it was going to happen, but people, because they knew who, because they knew the who, (laughs) they knew enough. They didn't know how, but they knew who. And that was all they needed. And I want you to note once again the confidence that they had then in verse 20. No, they didn't know how. 
but they knew who. And so verse 20 begins by saying, and they rose early in the morning. They didn't mess around. They didn't sleep in. No, they got up. They were confident in the power of God. God said he was going to do it. Dear people, when God makes a promise, it's as good as done. You can stake your life on it. And yet how many times I tend to say, oh, but I, I can't see it. I, I just don't understand it. I, I got to first see some proof. And yet we don't have that demonstrated in the people of Judah whatsoever. God promised, and they took God at his word. They got up early the next morning, and they went for it. That speaks to me. You know, my faith is often weak as I consider this. I'm challenged in all of this to trust God more, uh, just to take him at his word. As the song says, it's just so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Reminds me of the, the father from years ago whose little boy was in deep trouble, overcome by an evil spirit. And Jesus said, Daddy, do you think, you think I can do this? you believe I can do this? And the daddy cried out, oh, yes, I believe, but help my unbelief. And there's that tendency in my life as well. Oh, I believe you, Lord, but help my unbelief. These people here set the example of simply taking God at his word. They praised him for his promises, and then they stepped out in confidence. They stepped out in confidence. Let's think for a few minutes about the promise. I'm sorry, about the power, the power that we find in this story, the power that gave them victory. We find this in verses 20 through 24, but specifically verses 20 and 22. But I want us to consider these two phrases. The first is in verse 20. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Believe his prophets so shall ye prosper. The cry of Jehoshaphat as the people started heading out early that morning was, dear people, believe. Believe. A challenge to believe. A challenge to have faith. And then the other phrase that speaks of great power is, in verse 22, and when they began to sing and to praise. And when they began to sing and to praise. And just the structure of the sentence, as you're reading it, it's leading up to something. Normally, you know, we would say, and when they did this, then this happened. Well, that's exactly what we have here. When they began to sing and to praise, God did something. We'll note that in just a moment. But I want us to consider this thing of faith and action. 
or you could say belief and action. The call was for the people to believe, have faith as they went out into this battle. Belief and action coupled together creates a deadly combination. We're thinking about spiritual warfare. We're thinking about facing the challenges, the battles of life. The story from the past, but it gives us ammunition for our stories today. Belief and action coupled together creates a deadly combination. Notice that they didn't just believe, but they acted then on that belief. Yes, they believed God, and we see that from their response. God spoke, they responded with praise and worship, they left early in the morning. Okay, they believed, and their belief was proven by their actions, but it didn't stop there. There was more to do. You know, many years later, the apostle James wrote, faith without works is dead being alone. Or you could say, faith that does not express itself in action is no faith at all. But faith in Jesus Christ, taking God at his word, is then expressed in the steps that we take. You know, someone has said before that God is not likely to move a parked car. He expects us to put it in drive. You see the connection? Now, God can. But in other words, there is work for us to do. We have faith, and then that faith is expressed, is proven through what we do, through an act of obedience to God. Now, there's many examples from the Bible that prove the power of faith and action. Once again, I said it's a deadly combination. There's many stories in the Bible that speak about that. Let me just mention a few. You remember Abraham. The Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him for righteousness sake. He believed God, imputed to him for righteousness sake. Now, how do we know that Abraham believed God? How do we know? We know because Abraham went so far, he was getting ready. He was committed to killing his son, his one and only son. The one that God had promised to him. And there was a number of promises surrounding his son, Isaac. And now God had called him to sacrifice his son. Abraham was committed to doing that. In other words, his action proved his faith in God. I want you to think about the Israelites. When they went to cross the Jordan River, heading into the land of Canaan, think of the Israelites. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that the waters of the Jordan River stood up on a heap when? Not until the priests feet got wet. Not until the priest's feet got wet. Now you could say, well, yeah, I mean, just read a few verses before that. That's what God said would happen. Exactly. But they had to believe it. I mean, God tells us a lot of things too. 
Our faith is proven by our actions. You see, they proved that they believed God by walking down there. I mean, all these hundreds of thousands of people walking down there, a raging Jordan River, and they went ahead and got their feet wet. Can you imagine what that would have looked like? Boy. Rollin mentioned Daniel and the three Hebrew boys this morning, and I mentioned them as well. The Bible says that Daniel was delivered from the lion's den. Why? Because he believed in his God. Well, how do we know that he believed in his God? We know that he believed in his God because of the actions that he did. In other words, he was told to stop praying. Stop praying to any God, okay, other than, well, Daniel went right along with doing what he's always done, just like he's done before, the scripture said. He went ahead and had his prayer meeting to God, the God of heaven. You see? Think of the the three Hebrew boys. The Bible says that they were spared from the fiery furnace because they trusted in God. Well, how do we know that? It's because instead of bowing, they chose to stand out like a sore thumb and stand, (laughs) okay? They stood when everyone else was bowing. I'm saying that our faith is proven by our actions. And I just give some of those examples to once again give strength to this story here. Because we see that these people believe God, but then... It was proven by what they did next. And what they did next was not the typical means of fighting battles. You see, if we can understand it, oh, yeah, I'll believe God. If God says something reasonable, sure, I'll believe him. But what if God tells us something that doesn't make sense? What if God tells you to do something that's stupid? Then what are you going to do? You see... The method for battle in this story was radical, and it was ridiculous, at least in the minds of them that day. Well, in our human minds, I believe these were believers. I would also say there's probably some in that audience that were not so much. But this story... The people's faith in God was proven by their radical battle-fighting strategy. They left their swords and their sheaths, and instead they marched a singing army into the heat of this battle. And you know from the story that God did the rest. God did the rest. And this is another sermon altogether. But sometime I would like to look at how the heart of God is not for his people, even from the beginning, not for his people to kill other people. But that's another story altogether. But different times God says, let me take care of this. And as a result, God took care of the people. God took care of the enemy, not the people. You understand what I'm saying? That's another story altogether. 
What did they sing? What did they sing? In verse 21, it says, they appointed singers. Once again, we see the, uh, the influence. We see the leadership here of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat didn't just go and say, we're going to do it this way. But I noticed that he consulted with the people. I think there's power in that. I think there's strength in that. I think there's something for us as leaders to learn, whether it's church leaders, leaders in our homes, leaders in our schools. There is power in consulting. There's power in getting advice. But here we see Jehoshaphat consulted with the people. And so there was people who said, King Jehoshaphat, how about... After he had consulted, they appointed singers that they should praise the beauty of holiness. And then they sang, praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. Now, I understand that this song was a commonly sung song in their worship services. Psalm 136. It's the psalm that it, I forget how many verses it is. But the last half of every verse says something to this effect, oh, give thanks to the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. Something to that effect. Praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. The last half of every verse. And so it it would be fun sometimes to do that antiphonally, and uh, we won't do it this morning, but, you know, the leader would say, praise be to the God who's done great things, for his mercy endureth forever. Then to the God who did this, for his mercy endureth. It's that type of a thing. And anyway, the, the children of Israel, the children of Judah, Uh, would have sung this song. It was a song that they sang often in their times of worship in the temple, Psalm 136. And so it was a song that they knew by heart, a song they knew by memory. Obviously, what we have here is not very long. But it's a song that did did not focus on themselves. They didn't go into that battle singing, We Will Rock You, or anything like that. No, but it was a song. They went into the battle singing a song, giving God the glory, lifting up God as the one who is mighty and in control and the one who, who will get himself the victory. They were reflecting back on all the times that God had won the victory in the past, all the times that God had had reached out his arm of great providence and care, met their needs, protected them, gave them food, made the way through the sea. That God, for his mercy endureth forever. And so they were singing a a song that gave them power and strength, realizing that God has done it in the past, and God can do it again. And they believed in that. The children of Judah experienced victory that day through the power of singing. And I want to assure you that the same technique works today in the battles that we face. The same technique works today in the challenges of life. I challenge you to try it. You know, for the believer... Singing and salvation go hand in hand. In fact, they are nearly synonymous. Singing and salvation. I want you to consider, consider these two statements. The first is, we sing because we're saved. 
The second is, we're saved because we sing. Okay? The first you believe, the second you're not sure, right? Okay, we sing because we're saved. Let's look at that one first. Singing is the proper response to deliverance experienced in our lives. When you have experienced the mercy of God, when you have experienced the forgiveness of God, when you have experienced what it means to be a new creature, to find victory over sin, to walk in the light, when you have experienced that, it produces a deep, a deep joy and peace in your life. It changes you in a way that you then sing about it. It's something that just flows out of our joyful hearts. Thank you, God, for saving my soul, for making me whole. Thank you. And I just want to quickly note David's example in Psalm 40. The first three verses of Psalm 40. And I understand that these verses are possibly speaking more to David being delivered from his enemies physically, but they give a very clear picture of the deliverance that we experience in a spiritual sense from our spiritual enemies, from the grasp of, of Satan, deliverance. Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. You see that? David's crying out to God for help. The Lord hears him. It says he brings him up out of the pit, out of the miry place. God brought David up out of a situation where he could not help himself. That's a picture of our spiritual deliverance from sin. We cannot help ourselves. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. None of us are righteous. There's nothing good in us. And yet God reaches down. He brings us up out of that. And then David says, he set my feet upon a rock. He established my going. That's this thing of being made a new creation, I say. At least it's a picture of that as I think about New Testament times, a picture of God changing us, the picture of sanctification, where God takes us from a slippery spot, a spot that is, that is in, it's dirty and bad and going downhill, you could say. He brings us about that. He sets us on a solid foundation, stability of life, consistency in life. And he then gives us a song to sing. You see that? The song is flowing out of that deliverance that has been experienced. I say singing is the proper response to deliverance experienced. And so uh, we sing because we're saved. Okay, we all believe that. We're saved because we sing. Now, what I'm talking about is singing brings victory in the everyday battles of life. Okay, I'm talking about the everyday battles of life. We find salvation, we find deliverance in the everyday battles of life through singing a God-honoring song. You know, singing is a mood changer. 
Singing has a way of changing our perspective. It is nearly impossible, I say, to sing a God-honoring song and be mad at the same time. It's nearly impossible. You can try it. (laughs) Well, no, shouldn't try that. But there's something about when we're not feeling good, when we're feeling blue, start singing a song. Start humming a song. It will change your day. It takes your mind away from the problem and the mess that you're going through, whatever the obstacle is. It takes your mind away from the problem, and it puts your mind on the answer. It's a game changer, okay? I say that we are saved in the daily battles of life through singing. Now, singing, I find, purifies my mind. When I'm struggling with lustful thoughts, sometimes I either hum or sing the song, Purer in heart, O God, help me to be. May I devote my life wholly to thee. It's really hard to continue to think lustful thoughts when you are actively singing that, when you have decided to intentionally put that through your mind. Pure in heart, O God, help me to be. God blesses that. God blesses that. And maybe you're in a situation at work or something that that you can't sing. Then hum. (laughs) Hum. I've, I've started realizing that there are some people that hum, not just because they like to hum, but because they've learned that it's strategy for victory in their spiritual lives. Uh-huh. Some time ago, I was talking to Richard Herr, and uh, we were talking about singing, and Richard said that he's so glad, he's so blessed, that he's been married to a hummer for over 60 years. <laughs> I thought that was good. Yeah. And I hope we're all married to hummers. <clears throat> but it's good to be a hummer if you're not. There's something powerful about learning to be a hummer that can change your life and can help you face the battles of life. Well, once again, in our devotional this morning, David was running from King Saul. Wow. We don't even, we can't even really fully grasp the magnitude of that, the, the fear of that, all that that brought into his life, separation from his family, uh, from his church, from his safe places. We can't imagine that, really. But there David is running for his life. And what does he say he's going to do? He said, I'm going to sing and I'm going to praise. I'm going to sing and I'm going to praise in the midst of that. You know, and then he could also say, be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens, let thy glory. You know, he could say that. But once again, it's an intentional, purposeful decision. It's not going to happen naturally. But through the power of God, it can be done, and it will change your perspective, and it will change your life as you allow it. Here's a statement that I want to make. And if you like S's, this one's for you. Singing in the face of overwhelming situations, supplies you with supernatural strength and sets the stage for spiritual success. I'll say it again. 
Singing in the face of overwhelming situations supplies you with supernatural strength and sets the stage for spiritual success. Let me mention three things. What did Jesus and his disciples do together before they headed out to the Mount of Olives? Matthew and Mark both record that they sang a hymn together. They sang a hymn together. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. No, they well, the disciples didn't know all the details of what was getting ready to happen, but they knew something very big was going to happen. Jesus had just made that clear. And they sang a hymn together and then went into that battle. Through that battle, there was victory. Paul and Silas, there in the prison in Philippi, they had been beaten. They were roughly thrown in stocks. They weren't feeling good. They were not feeling good. They were in bad shape. And yet, the Bible says, when they began to sing, when they sang, God brought deliverance. but they were singing in that situation. And through that, I believe they found endurance and it gave them a perspective of faith in the midst of that challenge. Many martyrs for Jesus Christ, when being burned at the stake, have sang until the flames quenched their voice. They've sang until the, the, the flames have quenched their voice. And you say, yeah, well, they died. Well, I say, I don't care. They won. <laughs> they won. That's called faithful to the end. Sure, physically, their bodies passed away, but they found life. It was a means of enduring to the end through that singing. What a wonder it did for them personally. But can you imagine the testimony that was to those around? Not only to the believers that were there watching them. Look, they're singing. They're singing. Think of the influence of that. Think of the testimony that, that gave to those who were, who were killing them. Think of the testimony. Provision. Verses 25 through 26. There's a phrase that stands out to me. It sounds like a modern phrase almost. It was so much. We say that sometimes. It was so much. That's, that's the phrase we find at the end of verse 25. Let me just think about this thing of provision. It was so much. You know, our God is a God of so much. When God does something, he never does it halfway. When God gives something, he never gives it sparingly. You know, God is not the squeaking by kind of God. Not at all. But the scripture says he is the one who gives us richly all things to enjoy. That's our God. He is the one who is able to do exceeding abundantly 
above more than we can ask or think. That's our God. He's the God who, when feeding the 5,000, they didn't just barely have enough. There was 12 basketfuls left. He's a leftover kind of God, okay? I mean, God had plenty there, okay? They could take seconds. They could take more. That's our kind of God. When Jesus gives water, he doesn't just offer water. He offers living water. When, when God promises wisdom, it says that he gives liberally. He gives liberally. Joy, he gives joy, full, unspeakable joy. Peace, a peace that passes all understanding. Love, everlasting love. Life, eternal life, abundant life. You see, that's our God. Our God is a God of abundance. Our God is a God who gives so much. And let me tell you that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and fight the battles of life according to his way, with his strength, with his power, he will fill your life to overflowing. You will never lack. You will never lack the supplies necessary. And I want to say that's not the modern prosperity gospel. That's simply the promise of God. God makes it clear, you do it my way, I'll bless you. And God often blesses us in physical and material ways, but don't equate God's blessings with your billfold, okay? <laughs> he often does, but not always. Because there are blessings that are far more valuable. There are blessings that are priceless. Actually, the greatest ones are. The greatest blessings cannot be bought with money such as peace. And let's just note that yet in this story. Verse 29, And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries. When they had heard that the Lord fought against the enemies of Israel, so the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, or it was at peace. The nation of Judah was at peace. For his God gave him rest round about. In this Bible story from the past, and in the story of our lives today, peace is the result of doing God's work God's way. Peace is the result of doing God's work God's way. And it's not always going to make sense. It's not always going to be reasonable. And yet, the promise is peace. Take your songbook and turn to number 271, to a song that we sing from time to time, Peace, Perfect Peace. We're not planning to sing this song, but I just simply want to focus our minds on the words of this song. Because this song, it's a two-liner. And the first line of the song, in each verse, the first line 
gives a problem. It gives a question. In other words, can you really have peace when, when this is happening? Can we really have peace when this is falling apart? Can we really have peace when a friend is dying? Can we? And the last line of each verse gives the answer, you betcha. And it says why. Peace, perfect peace, in this dark world of sin? The blood of Jesus whispers peace within. Peace, perfect peace, by thronging duties pressed to do the will of Jesus. This is rest. Peace, perfect peace, with loved ones far away? In Jesus' keeping, we are safe and they. Peace, Perfect peace, our future all unknown? Jesus we know, and he is on the throne. Sounds like Second Chronicles chapter 20. We don't know what the future holds, but we know God. He's on the throne. Peace, perfect peace, death shadowing us and ours. Jesus has vanquished death and all his power. Well, that's beautiful. That's a, that's a song of, of confidence in the midst of unstable times. Certainly a good song for us today. Well, how are you, how are you facing the battles in your life? In whose strength are you fighting? Who's fighting anyway? Who's fighting? In conclusion, I want to challenge you with the perspective of two groups of people. The first is King Jehoshaphat and the children of Judah in verse 12. For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us, neither know we what to do, but our eyes are on you. You see, they chose in the midst of turbulence, to trust God. The other group of people is five young men. Five young missionary men. This brings us to more modern times. But the date was January 1956, and the place was the jungle of Ecuador. And Nate Saint, Roger Yodarian, Ed McCauley, Pete Fleming, and the name we know the best, Jim Elliott, were preparing for what they hoped would be the big meeting with the Alcans. They had been dreaming for months. They had been praying for months for this opportunity, for an opportunity to meet with the Alcas and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But as time got closer, they were uncertain how this meeting would go. On the eve of that big meeting, they joined for prayer together. And then before parting for the night, 
They sang a song together. This song was written by Edith Cherry, but it could have just as well been written by Jehoshaphat. In fact, part of it was written by Jehoshaphat's father, King Asa. But this is what they sang. We rest on thee, our shield and our defender. We go not forth alone against the foe. Strong in thy strength, safe in thy keeping tender. We rest on thee, and in thy name we go. We go in faith, our own great weakness feeling. And needing more each day thy grace to know, yet from our hearts a song of triumph healing, we rest on thee and in thy name we go. We rest on thee, our shield and our defender. Thine is the battle, thine shall be the praise. When passing through the gates of pearly splendor, we rest in thee, and in thy name we go. Through Gates of Splendor, that was chosen as the title then of a book written about their story. But as you recall, the next day when they landed on the beach, all five of these men were killed by the Alcas. And after that happened, there were some who criticized them for what they did. There were some who said, what a waste. What a loss. It should have been planned differently. You know, years before that, Mary was criticized for her great sacrifice, too. Jesus had something different to say about it. There were those who said, here's five young, talented men with wives and children, men who have great potential for the kingdom of God. It should have been handled differently. And yet, I want to say that what looked like defeat on the beach that day was instead one of the greatest victories in modern-day evangelism. And because of their sacrifice, hundreds of the Alcas have given their hearts to Jesus Christ. And besides that, many thousands more around the world have been deeply impacted, myself included, by their story and testimony. I simply say, May God help us to bravely face the challenges that come our way. May we allow him to receive the glory, and may we remain faithful to the end. May God bless us to that end. We'll call for a closing song.